So my wife, Shrestha, and I, and I got her permission to say this this morning, we, we've spent the past year, two years going to couples therapy together. And no, this isn't also the start of a joke. And, and I also know that our immediate reaction when someone says that I go to therapy is, oh no, what's wrong? And the short answer is, well, nothing. Uh, and a lot. Now, I just want to be clear as I get started this morning. This isn't a confession. Tresta, who is also a therapist, if you know her, uh, and I, we don't go to therapy because we've reached some impasse in our relationship or because we're on the brink of divorce and we're hoping to salvage what might be left. Although therapy can help in such situations, but don't save it for them. Things are actually quite good in our relationship, and therapy, as a preventative health tool, has has helped us to make that so. But this also isn't a, a, a commercial for therapy. So my point in saying this this morning is just to highlight the fact that we've gone to therapy individually as a couple because, like no doubt each of us, in learning to live together, to be in a close relationship, we've had to learn to navigate conflict, which in short, really just means differences, even if it's a, a difference in how to load the dishwasher. But I won't digress too much there. <laughs> Conflict itself is neutral, right? We have differences, all of us. It is inevitable. In any real, authentic relationship, if we are close enough to someone, we will have to navigate conflict. We will have to navigate Differences. The only way not to is to not have a real and authentic relationship, to keep enough distance that we can have this facade that we're all on the same page about everything. But while conflict is neutral and inevitable, how most of us have learned to navigate conflict from our families, from society, and therefore how most of us, unless we've really been self-reflective, deeply self-reflective, how we continue to navigate conflict is not neutral, right? Either, either how we respond or react in that moment heals, repairs, or it digs a deeper chasm. Was conflict for you growing up, was it shaped by yelling? Did it get physical? Did we learn to avoid it at all costs? Did we run away? Did we ever, ever leave a conflict feeling more heard or seen? Very rarely, I think, in any of our families or society, despite doing the best that we can, do we truly learn tools for how to handle conflict in ways that, that bring not only healing and reconciliation, but, but also deeper understanding and growth, even transformation. If anything, we may have learned that healing looks like sweeping it under the rug and just sort of moving on until that same conflict rears its head again and again. So while therapy is one place that we can explore tools and patterns and values for how to move through conflict in ways that do, do truly heal, I believe that church is meant to be another one. I like to think about what we do here in our various forms, whether worship or small groups, 
faith formation, all the different things that we do here is part of a larger umbrella of being in a school of love or a school for life. Think about it. Where else do we learn how to be human together, right? Except for in our families or values reinforced as a society. This this is a place where we ask ourselves the big questions about the kind of human we desire to be and how to get there. What facilitates that and what gets in the way? Now, unfortunately, churches have perhaps most often not been such a place because it turns out that, to paraphrase Jesus, wherever two or more are gathered, there you have conflict. And instead of being a place of self-reflection and learning and growing, the church family all too easily becomes a place where we continue to play out the same dysfunctional or unhelpful or even toxic responses to conflict. It's not only true in our world, now, among us, it was also true with Jesus' disciples and with those earliest Christian communities, like the one that gathered in the Roman city of Corinth, and to whom Paul wrote the letter we now call 1 Corinthians part of which we read this morning. And so this morning, I want to I focus in on the dynamics of the conflict at the church there and how Paul's response to it might illuminate a new path for us, a path that, if we dare to risk journeying down it, might just transform us. Now, the crux of what Paul seems to be addressing with the Corinthians, scholars say, is not really a single issue where there's one party on one side and one party on another and they're butting heads. It's not about a single issue, but a general divisiveness, a givenness to factions and cliques when conflict or differences arise. In addition, these factions are all too often falling along lines of socioeconomic power and status. That is, people are trying to use their, their money, their privilege, their connections, their status to get their way. Not because it's the best path forward for the congregation. Not because it's based in discernment of the community's deepest values. But because that's how they operate out in the world. That's what the world values and so they're using the church as one more place to play that dynamic out. That is, in society, money and privilege and connections and status, they are the very things that do give you more influence. It's how the game works. You use them to get your way, even if you've got to do some manipulation along the way. But, but not in the church. As Paul goes on to say, here we proclaim that power is made perfect in weakness, not asserting oneself over others. This is foolishness to the world, Paul says. It's, it's backwards and upside down. And it's inextricable from our identity as those who claim to follow a God who chose to empty himself and take on the form of a human, to serve rather than be served, to be crucified in the end, to be murdered, killed by the powers that be, rather than take vengeance and form an army and kill others. 
And yet here they are, calling themselves the body of Christ in Corinth while creating factions, jockeying for power and authority, jockeying to get their way. Now some seem to be claiming their authority from Paul. Others seem to be claiming their authority from the teacher Apollos. And apparently some, I would say like a a wolf in sheep's clothing, even dare to say, I belong to Christ, not man. Using spirituality as a cover before going about their factionalism and divisiveness. But Paul will have none of this. He's not interested in gathering the troops who claim to belong to Paul and in his corner over and against the others, he refuses to play their game. Was Paul crucified for you, he asks? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I don't want you on my team. This is not helpful. As Paul goes on to say in chapter 3, as long as you act like this, generate and move through conflict like this, You are merely revealing yourselves to be nothing more than spiritual babies. You're missing the point, Paul says. The church, the body of Christ, is not a place for any of us to reassert the ways of the world. It's a place for each of us to try to unlearn those ways and practice new ways such that we might, in the process of living into them, be made new, and therefore go out into the world, into our families and greater lives, to be agents truly of healing and transformation. Now, sadly, there's this tragic history of passages like this one this morning, passages that use this language of harmony and unity, be of the same mind and spirit, being used to silence those with different opinions. That those who dare to buck the status quo are are chided for being the ones who create conflict rather than promoting harmony and unity, even if the status quo is unjust or unfair. For daring to bring that up, you are the problem. And so I want to be clear this morning. Paul is not here seeking to eliminate differences of opinion He's not trying to squelch dissent. He's not insisting that those who join the community merely assimilate into the majority and they they lose any of their own distinctiveness. The unity to which Paul calls us is not uniformity of belief or behavior. In fact, Paul uses himself and Apollos to illustrate that it's possible to cooperate and work together peaceably to foster a spirit of unity despite what he mentions as their considerable dissimilarities. Differences that are apparently at least big enough that some claim to belong to Paul and some claim to belong to Apollos. And where they see divisiveness, division, differences that are at odds with one another, Paul says, no, 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 no. We have our differences and yet there is a deeper spirit of cooperation and collaboration between us. Diversity of background and perspective, of language and culture, of race, of sexuality, of ability, 
Our differences are not a problem, Paul says. The problem within a community in particular arises in two places. The first is our values. Do we truly share a common set of values? At the end of the day, a particular church community, like a couple or any close relationship, is bound by the values that it holds close which for us as a church by definition means that we derive our values from the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what our values are grounded in. The second problem arises in how we choose to live into those values or don't as we navigate our differences, as we navigate conflict. We seek to work out not only how to live these values in the world, but the challenges to embody them in our work with one another as we make decisions about leadership or budgets or structure or who to call as a pastor. If we don't share core values in any of our relationships, then, then real authentic relationship, relationships strong enough to weather our differences it isn't possible. If one of us thinks that forgiveness matters and the other doesn't, if one of us thinks that accountability matters and the other doesn't, if one of us thinks that we should talk things out, try to gain understanding and clarity beyond just what we think, but the other doesn't, if one thinks that a man should have a final say and the other doesn't, and so on, you get the point. If, we're not going to make it very far or for very long if at the end of the day we don't truly share a core set of values. If we claim as the body of Christ to base our values in the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus, then at the core of what we are saying, what Paul is saying to the divisive and divided community in Corinth is that this looks like the death of our own ego and hubris and pride. It looks like dying to pushing our own agendas, to seeking to elevate ourselves, to using our own status or connections or privilege to get our way, what we want. Dying to those th things, the ego, and being raised to new life in Christ, which finds strength in weakness, finds power in opening ourselves to one another in vulnerability, in acknowledging that we've hurt someone, even if we didn't mean to, without giving excuses. It looks like sharing our wounds like the resurrected Christ does with his disciples and building community from that place of vulnerability, where we can be imperfect together. It looks, I think, in many ways like John the Baptizer's response to his own disciples in our gospel reading this morning. See, John was also a figure with followers. He was well-known throughout the region. And while sharing lots in common with Jesus... They also have their differences. And as Jesus begins his ministry after being baptized by John, John's disciples, 
Well, they begin to grow envious and irritated. Hey, they say, did you know that that Jesus guy that you baptized, now he's baptizing people too? That's your thing. Incredibly, John responds to them in that moment by saying, no, 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 his role is different from mine. His purpose and calling are different than mine. Far from seeing them in competition with one another, him with Jesus, he insists, Jesus must increase and I must decrease which is a theological statement. My ego, as we were just talking about with the Apostle Paul, my ego must die. That part that insists that I have to get my way, that part of me must decrease so that the new life that Christ calls us to can increase. And in this sense, I think John's response is particularly illuminating. And again, if we're willing to risk hearing it as an invitation for ourselves is transformative because far from shrinking himself and making himself small, silencing his voice, putting his light under a bushel basket, no, right, as the song goes, we're going to let it shine. John doesn't avoid conflict by playing small. His is the response of someone who is secure in his own identity, in his role and his integrity. We might even say someone who is secure in his masculinity since all too often men feel the need to assert themselves over others in order to feel a little bit stronger or to cover for their own insecurities. But what we witness in John are the words and actions of one who does not need to put another in a subservient role in order to feel bigger and better about himself. Sometimes less is more. In short, this is the response of one who, in contrast to the Corinthians, knows himself and his values deeply enough that he doesn't need to puff himself up with hubris and ego. He doesn't need to assert his way or win in order to live into his purpose. And I wonder, what might it look like for each of us and for all of us as a church, as a community, to live into our shared values in this way? To recognize that our differences, they simply present us with opportunities to choose a new path forward. They are not in and of themselves negative or bad, but opportunities to be made new rather than reasserting the unhealthy reactive patterns that we learned early on? What if we saw conflict, our differences, as long as we have a foundation of shared core values, what if we saw conflict as an opportunity to be made new? rather than something to avoid at all costs. A community that learns to do that, 
to show that way, model that way for the world? Well, it might just begin to heal and repair a world that is tearing itself apart at the seams. May it be so. Amen.